Good morning, you guys. This is Dr. D coming straight from the Boom Factor out here in lovely Kima slash Lee C slash Seabrook um, City Limits. And I say that because I'm like in the middle of all three. So it's always a debate on the telephone when I'm calling for services or asking questions. And they got to go back and forth to really determine, okay, where do you live? So it just shows me right now I'm I'm liking anybody else that's in this community, you know, or, or crossing like in the middle of this zoning and the county lines. And, and, and it's really interesting how right now in 2020 that you live in an era that you're hearing on the streets, the protesting and, and I believe that we are being um, discriminalized because of all the 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 assistance that are are available to others, like inside of Harris County, anyone on the outside, and because of the fine line that this particular area is on between the zoning, the districts with the county, we are stuck and not qualified to receive anything. So. When I'm speaking, I am decreeing, declaring that, hey, Jesus is Lord. God is the head of my life, and he is definitely supplying my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So I thank you, and I can testify that God is definitely is a, 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 a father of his word. He take care of his children. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing, to believe that God will take care of you in the midst of all of this COVID-19. Stay at home all day. They are so back and forth and so confused. Now they're on the news talking about this and that. And we're going to discuss all of that. But I also want to introduce to you um, some information that I'm always looking and seeking outside the box. And so when I feel something is necessary to be exposed and shared, I will play it on my program and I will share it with you guys so you won't be in the outer loop. You'll be in the loop. But it's up to each individual to really take heed of what I share and just kick it off and say, oh, that's just something else you don't know. I am really being led by the power of God. Now, I'm going to allow you to hear um, some mini conversations through this documentary that I came across on YouTube. And the title of it is The End Game 2050. And it's a full documentary on how the earth have been sustained and also been going through its extension. Now, the word of God tells us in the Bible that man will destroy itself. And as you see, man is literally destroying itself. We have our uh, administration not really caring about another person's life. I don't care how they try to perpetrate it, but you're going to announce reopening of the economy in the midst of a pandemic without a cure. And now look what then happened. You can't blame it on a protest because if that's the case, the police itself will carry him or herself in a more uh, professional way of what we pay as citizens to have them on the street. And that's to protect and to serve. But no, they're not protecting and to serve. Oh, no, 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 no. We already see the results of that. 
and we continue to see the results every day. They still have protests as of now while I'm speaking. Protests are still going on. And I believe that is phenomenal. I believe that is amazing. Because now justice and equality and economically, see, they keep forgetting. Yeah, we want justice. We want equality and we want our money. And I'm going to keep saying it from, I've been saying it for several years now. And I'm going to keep saying it and I'm going to keep reaching out and telling you guys, call your Congress up. Call, call your representative up and let them know what your views are and what you want them to put on the forefront. They're only going to go by the most voices and you have a voice. Okay, so I just want to share this part and I'm going to come right back. All right. God bless you. Take it a day at a time. You know what? Why don't you take tomorrow off? You know, relax. I was planning on it. got a lot of frozen food and why don't you sit down to a big meal and forget any of this is even happening we'll get you back in shape okay yeah sure karen i still care about you i always have don't please don't i'm sorry i even brought it up karen thank you for everything really goodbye jerry Susan, what's on my plate today? Well, we are understaffed and completely full. It's going to be a crazy day today. No pun intended. <laughs> well, when it rains, it pours. Uh, when you see Karen, just uh, send her to my office. Jerry, Karen's not... Didn't you hear? Hear what? Her sister found her yesterday morning. She's... She's dead. She was a good kid. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that was very shocking and sad. But in fact, scientists today are warning that many of the problems in our future scene could be upon us and surprisingly soon. Characters from the future mentioned a mass extinction. The elephant in the room, and we all just ignored it. <laughs> Call it what you want, but we created this mess on our own with a mass extinction to boot. Unfortunately, a rapid and widespread loss of species is something that's already happening right now. In fact, biologists have classified our time as the sixth mass extinction in Earth's history. First, let me start by saying that. We have millions of species on the planet, and they have evolved over 
hundreds of millions of years into a fantastic array of different types of plants and animals and microbes. And it's really fascinating. At the same time, right now we're undergoing what's called a mass extinction. And that means that the rates of extinction are much faster, much higher than they normally would be. In the past, there have been five episodes of mass extinctions in which the majority of the plants and animals of the planet were wiped out. The last one was 65 million years ago when we lost the dinosaurs and a lot of other things. Since then, we've built up a huge amount of biodiversity. And then in the last 200 years, we've started destroying it. To recap, the Earth has been around for about 4.5 billion years. And in those years, there have been a total of five mass extinctions so far. The Permian mass extinction was the third and largest one around 252 million years ago. And the fifth and most recent one was when the dinosaurs went extinct about 65 million years ago. But now we're in the sixth mass extinction. And unlike the previous five, this one is the first one that is not caused by natural phenomena, like meteors hitting the earth or major volcanic eruptions. This one is different. It's being caused by humans and our activities. It's the first time a single species is causing a mass extinction. So we're truly navigating through uncharted waters. We have a catastrophic situation that's basically unrecognized. In about the last 40 years, we've lost more than half the wildlife on the planet. That bears repeating. Over one half of all wild animals on our planet have disappeared in just the last 40 years. I'm sure many people think, what has biodiversity ever done for me and why should I worry about it? Well, if you don't have a functioning ecological system that produces oxygen, that produces food, people will not survive. Many of our crops, many of the ones that are the most important really for our own health, are dependent on an animal pollinator like a bee to pollinate it. And so without these pollinators, we wouldn't have important components of our food supply. Pollinators help to produce 75% of our different crop species. That's how important they are to our diet, as well as things we really like, like chocolate. Many people don't know that cacao, which chocolate comes from, is pollinated by a tiny fly. Without that tiny fly, we wouldn't have chocolate. Personally, I think that would be a catastrophe. Even if we were to take a more selfish view of not caring about other species or the natural world, we should still literally be doing everything in our power to protect and preserve biodiversity for our own survival. If you had visited the planet three billion years ago, you would not have survived a minute because there was no oxygen to breathe, the water was toxic, there was no food to eat, so you wouldn't have survived. And three billion years of evolution of the web of life that makes the planet habitable is what we are rapidly destroying. So why is this tragic loss of biodiversity happening? The biggest cause of extinctions is habitat destruction. We know that all organisms need appropriate habitats 
and when you destroy the habitats, you are wiping out populations. The basic cause of the extinction episode of the sixth mass extinction is the much too large a size of the human enterprise. Habitat loss is the number one driver of biodiversity loss. And what's behind that is really our population growth and also how we consume resources. There are several causes for the dramatic loss of biodiversity we are experiencing. For example, poaching is a serious threat to many species. However, the biggest driver of species extinctions is actually the destruction of natural habitats by humans. According to the United Nations, the livestock sector is by far the single largest user of land on the planet, and it is the major driver of deforestation. Livestock systems occupy a staggering 45% of the global surface area. I don't think animal agriculture comes to mind immediately for most people as the largest land user on the planet, but it is. So then as we're eating more meats, we're eating more of a product that really just takes a lot to produce. It takes a lot of land, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of water. And as we uh, use these more expensive products, as we consume these more expensive products, it means that we basically are co-opting more of the Earth's resources for ourselves, and that's competing with biodiversity. It's, it's meaning that we need to take up a lot of their habitats. The fact that we, you know, this weird primate species of like relatively hairless, defenseless apes are destroying the only home that we know of in the universe that will support life. Is So, as they were discussing how the habitats of the wildlife are being destroyed, it will affect the human life. And if you want to see it more in, in, a, in this entirely, just go to YouTube and type in Endgame 50, 2050 and you can watch the whole program. And what it's going to demonstrate to you it's like I'm eating breakfast, y'all. <laughs> it's it's gonna be adding up to where we are now. Where we are now is horrible. It's horrible, and we can shift the blame. The White House administration can shift the blame all it won't about who this and who that. Okay, so what have you done now on your watch? Now, if you want to be the big chief, commander-in-chief, and not worrying about yourself and being an accurate leader as others, if everybody else can do a Zoom meeting, a Zoom concert, Zoom teaching, what makes you so different? That you're going to throw out there and, and literally not only, I felt, threaten the governors of the states 
to reopen on it so he can get out there and do campaign. Wow. Now look what we have. Now who are you going to blame on that? Now you have all these states going back, rethinking and, 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 and wheeling in the reopening of business to shutting them down again. You, why are you messing with people's livelihoods? Even though, yeah, they're going out drinking and partying, but they still have a bartender that needs that check. That has that waitress or waiter needs that check. That business owner needs to pay his bills. You see what I'm saying? So, yes, it all boils down to that. And they was when you watch the program, it's going to discuss the next extension. It's going to be us. We see it. You got 10,000, 20,000, 36,000 people that have died thus far. The first beginning, just within three months from this pandemic. My Lord, what else is there to demonstrate? Come on, America. Come on, White House. Y'all flowing in money. You can print money out. You can release money. We all, we, you have the money. You have all these people's Social Security that then die and can't claim their Social Security. You have all that money. Let, let's, let's stop this. Stop the brakes. Look, stop everything like you did before. Stop everything. And now we got to go into a whole nother month zone. Another two months, stay at home order. Nobody go anywhere. Curfew. Block it. Got to go to the store. Go to the store in the morning. Come out. Essential workers like the gas, um, street workers, the garbage workers, you know. First responders, but everybody else, stay home. And don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. We're going to contact all the apartments and the banks for the houses and stuff. And you're not going to get evicted and you're not going to get foreclosed. And I think that's a doggone shame when they reopen. Them landlords were so greedy, they started evicting people. Now you got a whole group of people that's homeless because they lost their job, because their company had to close because of COVID. You see, you see where it's going? We are becoming extinct. And it has to fulfill the prophecy of God. He said, man will destroy himself. He said, I ain't got to do anything anymore. You're going to destroy yourself. I gave you a plan. I told you what to do and what not to do. But you choose to live your own life, not the life that I say live. So you can have a healthy, blessed, active life. So now you have to pay the consequences. What is the consequences? COVID-19. COVID-19. And sad to say, half the people, my Lord, that was affected by this terrible virus, unnecessarily and shortened their lives. Why? Because they are doing an extension, a human being extension. Genocide is what I call it because of greed. Well, that's just my, that's my opinion. I'm just feeding off of what I'm seeing and hearing. But I will return because I have some subjects that we need to discuss. We need to discuss 
the voting. We need to discuss the, the justice and the equality in our economical uh, retrip- reparation. We need, we need discussion on the laws that need to be changed in all areas. I'll holla. by far the single largest user of land on the planet, and it is the major driver of deforestation. Livestock systems occupy a staggering 45% of the global surface area. I don't think animal agriculture comes to mind immediately for most people as the largest land user on the planet, but it is. So then as we're eating more meats, we're eating more of a product that really just takes a lot to produce. It takes a lot of land, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of water. And as we uh, use these more expensive products, as we consume these more expensive products, it means that we basically are co-opting more of the Earth's resources for ourselves, and that's competing with biodiversity. It's, it's meaning that we need to take up a lot of their habitats. The fact that we, you know, this weird primate species of like relatively hairless, defenseless apes are destroying the only home that we know of in the universe that will support life is, it's horrifying on a scale that we can't even conceive of. Which is why, like, I feel badly for humans, but there is a part of me that just thinks that like, if we can't change ourselves, if we can't learn how to live in sort of sustainable harmony with the only world we can, that will support us, we need to go away. We, and the other thing is, we will go away. In other news, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Authority, or NOAA, issued new warnings. They are reporting that the ocean's pH is still decreasing, meaning further acidifying. This despite concerted attempts to regulate carbon emissions and industrial and agricultural runoff. The newscast in the future reported that the ocean was acidifying. Yet again, this is another problem that we don't really need to go to the future to see because it's already happening today. So what does ocean acidification mean? It means the pH of the ocean's water is decreasing. pH simply measures how acidic or alkaline a given substance is. But why is the ocean acidifying? Well, because a third of all the carbon dioxide or CO2 that we're releasing into the atmosphere gets absorbed by the ocean, where it turns into carbonic acid. And it happens to be the case that we've put huge amounts of CO2 in the atmosphere in a very short period of time. So as we are emitting CO2, a constant fraction of it goes into the ocean and turns it into an acid. In fact, for every pound of CO2 we emit in the atmosphere, about 30% of it ends up in the ocean. 
Um, so acidification is a very linear, a very predictable um, affair. The ocean's average pH already dropped from 8.2 to 8.1 since pre-industrial times. And scientists estimate that it will drop further by the end of the century to an average pH of 7.8. So after being relatively stable for thousands of years, now we're looking at a total pH drop of 0.4 units in only about 300 years. And while 0.4 pH units may not sound like a lot, for the plants and animals who live in the ocean, it's a huge change. Life as we know it has evolved to depend on those very constant, very well buffered conditions in the ocean. If the ocean turns more acidic, it's uh, a chemical environment that a lot of species are not accustomed to because they've never seen this in their species' lifetimes, millions of years. And as such, this can really uh, present a large challenge to ocean life. For example, in the western United States, um, there's a big uh, oyster industry, and some of the oyster hatcheries, where the very fragile larvae of the oysters form, had to be moved to Hawaii because the water was turning too acidic for them to survive. And what a lot of people don't realize is that ocean acidification is already outside the bounds of natural variability. Another creature that has attracted a lot continue are completely unprecedented. So we really don't know how exactly it's all going to play out. In 2018, my one wish for Christmas was some device that will suck CO2 out of the atmosphere. But in a way, I wonder if that would actually be the best thing. Because of course, we're on a sort of like collision course with disaster and tragedy. And I hate to say this, but we kind of deserve it. Like we're the cause of the problem. You're the cause of the problem. I'm the cause of the problem. And sure, it would be nice to magically push a button and suck all, or not all of it, a lot of the CO2 out of the atmosphere. But what would we have learned? I don't want a magic fix that will reduce CO2. I want us to stop treating this planet like a garbage dump. And I want us to stop pretending that there is some like plan B, some other planet we can move to. Like, I'm sorry, Elon Musk, Mars is not a viable solution. You can't move eight billion people to, a, to Mars, which does not support life. Sorry to report to the world, but as predicted by many fishy scientists, we have fished all the fishies. <laughs> well, almost all the fishies. Any that are left are kind of hard to find unless you have enough money. Then you could treat yourself to some of the old frozen stocks. We saw in our future world that fish were very hard to come by. This is based on a simple reality. We're taking too much life out of the ocean while dumping too many harmful things into it. The World Economic Forum recently issued a sobering prediction. With a business as usual scenario, by 2050 there will be more plastic in the ocean than fish. The pervasiveness of plastic seems to have really snuck up on us. It's a man-made substance first created in 1907, but now, barely a century later, it's literally everywhere. 
most plastic is never recycled either. In fact, a lot of it can't be recycled, even if we wanted to, because of certain components that are used in its making. According to the United Nations, more than 8 million metric tons of plastic find their way to the ocean every year. That's the equivalent of dumping 1,440 garbage trucks of plastic into the sea every single day. Plastic doesn't break down. It stays in the environment and accumulates. The more we dump in, the more there is. It doesn't go away. It breaks into smaller and smaller pieces, but those microplastics remain and they have toxic effects that we don't even really understand and we're only beginning to study now including their effects on humans. For example, if you eat a mussel or any shellfish or any product from the sea, it's almost guaranteed now to have little plastic filaments in them um, because the plastic is everywhere and is being fed upon by these animals. Scientists have even measured the proportion of plastic mass to the proportion of plankton mass in the ocean. And in some places, like the North Pacific Gyre, they found there was six times more plastic than plankton. So we're really turning the oceans into a plastic soup. Yeah, you find plastic in almost all seafood now. Um, so when you take a mussel from Halifax Harbor, it has about 100 plastic filaments in it. Um, when you take a mussel from an aquaculture farm, it has about 200 plastic filaments because they grow it on plastic ropes that shed the microfibers that then are eaten up by the uh, mussel. So if you're eating seafood, you're probably also eating quite a bit of plastic too. Embedded in the animal's tissue, even if you don't see the plastic or taste it. A recent study from the University of Belgium actually examined how much plastic seafood-loving Europeans were eating and estimated it could be around 11,000 tiny pieces of plastic per person per year. We don't know how eating all this plastic will affect human health. We've only just started to study this, so it's still largely an unknown, which is not reassuring at all. On top of that, we've also seen that the nanoplastics which are the very small plastic particles, can actually cross cell membranes in some fish. We've seen that they can accumulate in organs like the brain, testicles, and liver, and cause problems with the reproduction, immune system, and behavior. And this ability of plastic to cross cell membranes is, in my opinion, one of the most concerning. Because if it's affecting wildlife, I don't know how we can be certain that it's somehow not going to affect us too. We've known about the problem of fatal encounters between marine wildlife and debris for a long time, since at least the 1960s. But today, of course, the magnitude is many times greater than it was then. And now we also have more technology like cell phones with cameras and YouTube, so it's easier to witness the plight of these poor animals. With just a quick Google search, you'll see clips and pictures uploaded from all over the world of animals tangled in plastic, 
eating plastic with plastic forks in their nostrils, with plastic straws stuck in their noses, birds dying with plastic-filled stomachs, baby birds being fed plastics by their mothers who mistake it for food, and even whales stranded ashore, starving and dying, unable to eat anything because their stomachs are filled with plastic, like this one in severe distress in the last moments of her life. I just can't imagine the level of despair and helplessness whales and all the other animals must feel as their stomachs fill with plastic to the point that they cannot eat food anymore and die. Remember, this problem is all because of us. A hundred years ago, there was virtually no plastic anywhere. So it's a tragedy of our own making. of 7.5 billion and growing, if we all want to eat fish, then overfishing seems to be the result. Most fishing prior to 1950 was coastal. Few fisheries happened um, way outside in the open oceans. That changed after World War II because of new technology, more powerful diesel engines, new materials for nets and so on that made it feasible to fish way offshore in fish populations that had never been fished before. And what we documented is that within 20 to 30 years, a lot of those populations became depleted, particularly for the very large fish. So the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organizations comes out with the report every two years. And what they've shown is that the larger and larger fraction of those fish populations is being depleted. And right now, about 80% or more are fully fished, uh, meaning they're fished to capacity or they're overfished and being depleted. Using data from the UNFAO, Scientists from Dalhousie University projected that by the year 2048, all fisheries would be practically empty. In other words, if we continue business as usual, they're warning we could have virtually fishless oceans in just a few short decades. 
Many studies have concluded that if we keep fishing the way we've been fishing in the past, we will collapse many or most fish populations by the middle of the century. There was just a new paper last year that showed this again, using new data for fisheries management worldwide. When people are confronted with this reality, they sometimes think, well, we can just have farm fish instead, right? Although farm fish or aquaculture is sometimes touted as an alternative approach to commercial fishing, in reality it has its own set of very serious problems and can still be detrimental to both wild fish and ecosystems. From destruction and contamination of natural habitats to genetic problems from the inbreeding of farm fish that sometimes escape and pass on their problems to the wild populations, making them less likely to survive. In addition, the crowded farming conditions are a breeding ground for diseases and parasites. One good example is parasitic sea lice, which feed on the skin and blood of salmon and can ultimately kill the fish. Wild salmon populations have been severely affected by lice spread from fish farms. On top of all that, many farm fish are also carnivorous, meaning they need to be fed wild-caught fish. I don't think farming fish is the most effective or realistic solution to the problem. A more elegant and simple approach for all of us who have access to basic food options is to simply stop eating fish. I have some friends who think that like by being environmentally responsible, they're going to stop eating land animals and only eat sea animals, fish and crustaceans and things. Like if you care about the ocean, you have to stop eating animals that live in the ocean. It's so self-evident. I don't know how destroying fish and destroying the ecosystem of the ocean is somehow environmentally responsible, but we're a messed up species, so I'm not surprised that like someone came up with that terrible idea. My parents were educated people, just totally oblivious. And all the while, this whole little mess was brewing. We ended up turning our one little planet completely upside down. Our rapidly growing population is a multi- population is a multiplier that affects every global environmental issue we face. And the fact is, we've had an unprecedented spike in our population over the last two centuries. That coupled with our consumption patterns is placing serious strain on our planet's finite natural resources and ecosystems. The number of people on the planet would not matter if we were ethereal beings. What matters is the combination of the number of people and their economic activity, namely consumption and waste products. 
our species, modern humans, has been around for about 200,000 years. And it took us all that time to reach a population of 1 billion, which we finally did relatively recently in the early 1800s. But today, only about 200 years after that, we've multiplied seven times over. We are now more than 7.5 billion humans and on track to hit close to 10 billion by the year 2050. I'm concerned about population because if you look at over all of human history, it took up until the 1800s to reach the first 1 billion people on Earth. And then the, the last 1 billion people to go from 6 to 7 billion people on Earth took only about 12 years. Why did our population grow so quickly in just the last two centuries? Well, simply put, we've had the very good fortune of being able to decrease child mortality and increase our life expectancies as a result of the agricultural revolution and technological advances in modern medicine. So more children now grow up, live longer, and have children of their own. And this, in the aggregate, dramatically increased the world population in a short period of time. Every year we're adding eight, about 80 million extra people to the planet and that is about the population of Germany. So if you think about the need to find a, a good home for those people, to ensure that they have access to food, that they have access to clean water, that they have health care and education, it really puts things into perspective. When I was born in 1932, there were 2 billion people on the planet. Now there are 7.5 billion people. The size of the human population has more than tripled in my one lifetime. One of the really critical things, the resource that we'll never run out of, is morons. Morons, for instance, say it's only consumption, it's not the number of people that counts. That's like saying the area of a rectangle is determined only by its width, not by its length. Certainly, consumption is a big problem. So is population size. The two multiply together to give you your impact on your life support systems. Never in human history have we asked so much of our environment, our infrastructure, and our society to accommodate such large increases in our population over such a short period of time. Just as one example, at the pace we're currently growing our population, we need to be building 63,000 new classrooms every single week, repeatedly, week after week, if we want every child to have access to education. Funding, building, and staffing 63,000 new classrooms every single week, over and over. So are we building them? And are we prepared to keep building at that pace every single week? The answer is no. Unfortunately, we are not building them. And I don't think it's realistic to think that we could at that pace. The impact of human beings on the planet doubles every 17 years. That is, if you take the rate of population growth and add to it the rate of economic growth and put those two things together, we make twice the impact on the planet every 17 years. And you can't do that for many doublings before you destroy the planet. A lot of people think the population problem is too many. Indians are too many people in Africa and so on. Actually, it's too many people in the United States to start out with. You and I consume much more 
than the average person in Africa or the average person in India. And that's part of the problem. To support the people we have today, the current estimate is you need one and a half Earths to do it. To support the people we have today at the style of the average American, you'd need four or five more Earths. We're living on our capital, not on our interest. It's as if we were an idiot child that inherited a million dollars and kept writing bigger checks on the bank account every year and never looking at the balance. We're using up our precious soils. We're using up our easily accessible resources. Basically, we're behaving like idiots because we're the only species we know of that is determinedly set out to destroy itself. Supposing the moon had water and an atmosphere and we had a cheap way of getting there. At the present rate of population growth, we'd fill it up in 10 years. It wouldn't help us. Given the fundamental importance that our population plays in so many converging environmental issues, you think the environmental organizations would be having a robust conversation about it, yet most don't talk about population growth that much, if at all. If you think about any controversial topic, people are always aware of difficult subjects and if they bring those difficult subjects up, it may get them into trouble. So if you go to a dinner party and you bring up population and people jump all over you, they'll say, okay, I won't touch that again. There are a few reasons why people are afraid to talk about population, but I think at the heart of it, um, because there have been some uh, coercive population programs and policies, uh, people are afraid that if they make these links between population and the environment, that it's suggesting that we have to control the population, that there has to be some external force. But good population policies and programs respect what couples want, and they're about giving women and, and men what they want and not telling people what to do. In talking about the very real problem of unsustainable population growth, I believe the focus needs to be on raising awareness of the issue, promoting gender equality and women's rights around the world, supporting things like family planning so that all women have the means to determine the number and spacing of their children, encouraging small family norms, supporting adoption efforts, increasing education, eradicating poverty, and abolishing horrid practices like child marriages. These human rights efforts are critically important in their own right, but they also happen to be some of the most effective actions we can take to help slow our population growth rate. Also, in our culture, there are still sometimes some religious or social pressures that can make people feel like they have to have children or they have to have a certain number of children, even if they don't really want to. Even if you're capable of having and supporting children, no one should feel like they must have children if that's not what they want to do. As a personal example, I actually underwent tubal ligation or permanent sterilization surgery several years ago while single and childless. Even though I love kids, I just don't have the inclination to have any children of my own. And that's okay. But no woman or man should feel like they have to have children simply in response to social pressures. And for the benefit of all humans, including today's children and future generations to come, 
I think we have a moral obligation to raise awareness about the unsustainability of our current population growth rate and the importance of slowing that rate down as well as changing our consumption patterns so that we avoid irreparably depleting and destroying the very environmental systems on which we humans and all other species depend. So I, I think that the silence around population has to be has to be broken and people have to speak out about the relationship between population and environment. There, there is something we can do to slow population growth and it will have drastic benefits for access to resources, access to land, access to water, food security, and clean air, stable climate. All of that's affected by population. It will be much easier to manage these challenges if we can slow and stabilize population growth than if we continue a business as usual path. A lot of us, myself included, everyone watching, like most of us self-identify as good people. Of the 7.7 .7 billion people on the planet, I guarantee you almost all of them think that they're a good person and they're leading a good life. They're like looking after their family. I'm like, but we are not judged on how we self-identify. We're judged on our actions. You know, and if our actions cause misery and destruction and suffering, we're not good people. You know, and who, I'm not God. It's not my place to judge. But like, where do we get the idea that we're living good, benign lives if the product of our lives is nothing but suffering and destruction? Dr. Cohen, you were telling me over the break that these methane explosions are nothing new, and you didn't seem to be entirely surprised by this event either. Well, we've been monitoring this phenomenon for decades, and while it's nothing new, we have seen an increase in the frequency of these methane bubbles, which is very concerning. fictional characters in the future were worried about methane bubbles escaping from under the Arctic. But we actually don't have to go to the future to see this, because it's something that's already happening today. In fact, the image we use for the fictional newscast is from a real-life crater in Siberia, thought to have been formed by a recent methane pocket explosion in an area that used to be covered by frozen permafrost. Some places in the Arctic are starting to look like bubbling jacuzzis, not because the water is boiling, but because methane that was previously trapped in ice is now bubbling up to the surface. Some daring scientists, like this one from the University of Alaska, can even dig just a little bit into the ice and light the escaping methane right on fire. But why does it matter if frozen methane is now being released into the atmosphere? Well, 